Welcome, dear people, to this festive episode of ReporterCast for December 2022. Uh, my name is Matej Roska, the journalist behind Reporter.London, the website. And uh, what better way to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ than by discussing all the ways his subjects are lying, cheating and stealing from each other, bullying journalists and manipulating civil society, dodging taxes and trying to bend the rules for selfish gain every waking moment of every day. Indeed, with today's guest, we will be taking on an extremely politically sensitive story, one that has divided opinion across the United States and the world. It has pitted journalists against each other, and moreover, it has tangled up Twitter, one of the world's biggest social media platforms, in a censorship scandal as recently as this week under the banner of the Twitter files. But this censorship scandal has been going on uh, over a year. Now, the subject at hand is Hunter Biden's laptop, Hunter Biden being one of the sons of, of uh, United States President Joe Biden. And uh, apparently it's not just one laptop, but apparently it's three. And um, they include alleged proof of very serious financial malfeasance among other alleged crimes. And our guest today is the man who sits right in the middle of the story, the researcher who surfaced all of the allegations, who who went through the data in the laptop and published it in various media outlets, um, Garrett Ziegler, who is a former Trump White House staffer who used to write reports for Donald Trump. Um, thanks for joining us, Garrett. Thank you very much, Matei. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, before the questions, I'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, H5 Strategies, a consulting firm in Bucharest, specialized in political and executive advisory across Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and Africa. And uh, now for the first question, before we get into the actual laptop, can we address some of the controversies around this story, starting with, are you affiliated with Donald Trump today? And if if you are, or even if you're not, don't you think he's a much bigger crook than Hunter Biden can ever dream of becoming? Well, to answer your first question, no, I'm not. I'm not employed or paid by any political action committee affiliated with the former president. In fact, I haven't I haven't spoken to him directly since January 18th, 2021, nearly two years ago. Um, and so this is a completely separate nonprofit we established in July of 2021. All of our financials are, you know, they're available for anybody with an internet connection and a cursory knowledge of how to navigate the the IRS website. And uh, to answer your second question, think about it this way. I had access to Hunter Biden's laptop um, for you know not even two years now, and he himself only used that particular device for less than six months. And at the very least, we found evidence of over a dozen different federal felonies, and the number 459 is the number that we found was the basically the the floor of every time one of those 20 felonies was committed and so you'd think that because they have used the the FISA surveillance court and other avenues to get at Trump's financial affairs and his 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 broader life i mean the US House of Representatives just released a press release yesterday saying that they looked at all of his tax returns you'd think that if they had that sort of analysis not just one device but his entire sort of uh, you know, desk that they would find something, 
but they haven't. And over over the course of six years, Matei, there's been controversy after uh, controversy, starting with Stormy Daniels, an embarrassing scenario for the former president, and that ended up with Michael Avenatti going to the pen for years. And so our allegations are conservative. We try to strike a floor, meaning we didn't include anything in this in this dossier, Matei, that there wasn't two pieces of corroborating evidence for. So if we found, for example. Uh, one wire transfer that wasn't enough to include in here we had to find a text message or another email that alludes to that wire transfer because we wanted to be able to stand up to scrutiny if if there's just one piece of evidence for something even if it's a blatant email that can be claimed in another way that the, the biden's could claim plausible deniability for that and so i think that if anybody takes the time to read through the dossier read through the 2000 footnotes they will come away with the idea that this was done uh, very methodically and we don't accuse hunter of anything that we think he didn't do it's it's very it's very thorough and that's why i'm glad that you invited me on today so we could talk about it and reach a different audience no that's that, that's fine i understand and i do agree with you i have i have read most of it and i agree it is thorough um it's not for me to decide whether all of it is accurate or not but given how how many publications actually picked up these allegations i suppose uh with with, with all these big newsrooms um publishing them they probably have faith that the allegations are solid even if they they end up not being picked up in in court so um before uh, just another question before we get into the into the data um, you made a promotional clip for this uh, for, for this dossier, yeah. saying that um, uh, people should support the non-profit Marco Polo because uh, the election in 2020 was a sham. And I wonder if you just said that because you wanted to appeal to a conservative audience and um, you wanted to make a, to, to speak metaphorically, or do, do you actually think the the election was illegitimate? Because if you don't think joe biden won the election then you know i at the very least i can understand why big outlets such as i don't know cnn and, and whatever didn't really want to touch this story well i think that um first of all there there the concerns about the 2020 election um have nothing to do with the fact that joe biden is the president today meaning i believe he is the united states president but i just think that like many elections before the 2020 election it was fraudulently conducted and my argument is very simple in the u.s constitution it prescribes that the time manner and place of elections is to be decided by the state legislatures that didn't occur in 2020 and one of the reasons for that Matei, is because they said that the pandemic required them to send out mail and ballots to everybody on the list no matter if they requested one in that way because it circumvented state legislatures and it was decided by the executive i.e state you know the secretary of state or the governor that is why i think it's illegitimate now somebody who is who has a nuanced mind can hold two different ideas at the same time they can still think that there were problems with the illegality of the 2020 election and and see the exhibits in our report even if you don't agree with me about the election fraud you would agree that the data in here is in dispute. And in fact, all of the left-wing outlets and all of the mainstream outlets that have given limited hangouts by about the Biden laptop have not disputed the content. They have not found one byte of manufactured data. And they've tried. 
they've gone through the 128,000 emails that my nonprofit put up in May at bidenlaptopemails.com and not one email was doctored because we didn't change anything. We simply took it from the laptop on to the website. And so my my answer is very simple. I do believe that the election was fraudulently conducted in 2020, but that has but but the that has no basis in the arguments of money laundering, FARA violations, etc. Right. And right, I think like, I, sorry. Um, can I just ask you a yes or no simple question? Do you think Joe Biden won the election squarely, fairly? No. Good lord. Well, I mean, I mean, um, that's just that's that's that, that's just madness, isn't it? But anyway, it's well. I, I would I would say that if you don't agree with that. You have to read more U.S. history. In 1960, the same thing occurred, except the uh, the rectification methods weren't used by Nixon. He didn't really fight it. And even liberal biographers have come to that conclusion that the basically the political machine in Chicago with 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 the Dailies and the other people in Texas uh, stole the election for Kennedy. And LBJ's election in 1948 in Texas in the Senate race was stolen as well. And so I think my claim that elections can have fraud and that there are laws being broken is is in no way uh, abnormal. In fact, there were more than a half a dozen Democrats who objected to the 2016 election of Donald Trump, and yet no one asked them anything. So I think that my um, my problems with it are within the course of American history not that abnormal. And again, I think that the 2020 election is a subsection of this dossier, which there is a 2020 election subsection. And what I mentioned in that, Matei, is basically that there was a bipartisan uh, conspiracy, not a theory, but a conspiracy, to go against Donald Trump, wherein you have the chairman of the largest corporation on planet Earth, Greg Pinner of Walmart, who was Hunter Biden's... Uh, college classmate at Georgetown, having a call with Hunter in October of 2018, asking Hunter to get his dad and John Kasich, a Republican, to run on a joint ticket. So that's what I mean by conspiracy. There was a uniparty conspiracy to try to get but Donald Trump Politicians out. do that all the time. Politicians and business people lobby each oh, other and sort of partner, each, partner with each other all the time. You make it sound, when you say conspiracy, you make it sound like there's this sort of um, um, almost... Um, almost um, Occult thing happening to to no, keep I would, Donald Trump out I, of I'm power, just but you know it. Donald Trump is frankly he, he's not that good a politician and he's got too much baggage, you know. So, um, but the um, word conspiracy it, doesn't necessarily connote criminality. I mean, if you right. look it up in, in in Webster's, I'm simply saying that there was a group of people, and and I agree with you that politicians do this all the time. Why this is news to me, Matei, is that we have all of this primary source material. That's really one of the biggest stories is, and even a liberal magazine called New York Magazine, uh, Andrew Rice is a writer there, and he in September came out with a 5,000-word piece about how this is the most primary source material that has ever surfaced on a member of a U.S. first family, meaning we have over 200 gigabytes. So I think that's what's unique about it, that we have the, the that we have the phone call itself with the guy. It's not that it's what they're doing is is never been done before. Right, right. Okay. And uh, can you say a few words about Marco Polo, the nonprofit? Um, 
And um, uh, actually, how did you end up working for the White House in the first place? What were you doing before the White House? And after that, uh, a little bit about Marco Polo, please. Yeah, so I got an internship at the White House when I was a senior in college in the fall of 2017. And um, through that, I got to know a man named Peter Navarro. And, you know, I consider myself a heretic in many ways. I don't believe what a lot of people believe. And because I'm a Lutheran, I'm a double heretic. I'm a Lutheran who doesn't believe in free trade. And not because I don't think there'll be free trade in heaven, but I just think that the sinful nature of man, like you alluded to at the introduction of the show, uh, prohibits there to be free and fair commerce between nations. And so when I got to know Peter Navarro, I realized that he was a heretic like me, and heretics tend, uh, tend to stick together. And so I ended up working for him after I graduated college for two years, um, from 2019 to 2021. And it was a dream. You know, Peter was a college professor for 30 years, and so he had a very young staff. Everybody was under 30, and we got to work on projects from domestic manufacturing to um, to the election fraud. Now, the election fraud was a little bit um, of a different project than the other things that we did, but still, I think that Peter was always around late 20s research, you know, graduate assistants in his college years, and so that environment translated into the White House, and it was a lot different than all the other offices. And through that, leading to your next question, I fell in love with open source intelligence tools. Half of my day was spent on um, commerce department websites getting raw trade data <laughs> from all the countries of the world. And through that, that sort of the thrill of the hunt uh, is a very safe a wholesome way to get a dopamine fix as opposed to other other stimulants and that that has really drove me and what i mean by that is every single day all i'm doing is scouring uh for this report i worked with two private investigators we took a lot of the people in in hunter's contacts in his in his phone in his which was hooked up via iCloud to his laptop and ran background reports on them and so what I would do is look at those background reports, look at the LLCs that they're the ultimate beneficial owners of, go pull their documentation from the Secretaries of State website, and then map out their assets. And that's essentially what I did for the report is look at public records, look at the data on the laptop, and try to uh, find any violation of laws. Because the report, again, and you probably know this, Mateo, but maybe some of your listeners don't, the report is not about um, Hunter's degeneracy sexually the only time we mention that is when there's a violation of law we don't make fun of him um for the purpose of making fun of him uh we we did confirm that there were three violations of human trafficking laws um without dispute we again some people are saying that hunter like raped 10 year old girls that's just that's just hoaxes that were started by some in the right-wing media in the united states we've stayed away from that and we've actually identified the people who came up with those hoaxes. So I would, you know, say that uh, an open source uh, intelligence group is what Marco Polo is. There's six of us in the group, and we get leads all the time. I would say 30% of them pan out. 70% of them don't uh, cut it. But uh, it's a dream. I love what I do. Right, and um, now that this story is kind of winding down. Um, what what are you going to do next? What 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 are you planning? Are you going to to get into uh, Republican politics? Are you going to be a, an opposition researcher for one of these candidates, or what? 
No, we've stayed away. That's why we went with the 501c3 as opposed to the 501c4. I find a lot of the candidates in elected officials of the United States very underwhelming, personally. Like, people I wouldn't want to spend time with. They're just not interesting. They don't have a grasp of history. So what we're interested in, especially, is the cartels. We think the uh, the drug cartels have an outsized influence in uh, American politics, particularly the southwestern states. And we're, we're going to be starting a pretty big project. It, it won't result in a 640-page report. It'll probably be one-sixth of that. But we're starting a big project on uh, on a cargo uh, air shipment facility at an airport in Arizona called um, Skybridge. And it's going to be the first of its kind in the United States, whereby Mexican customs officials are going to be stationed inside the United States. And they've built this as a way to speed up commerce. But what really is going to happen uh, is there's going to be zero way to effectively police uh, all kinds of contraband and other illicit materials going to be shipped in the United States. We're very interested in that. And again, if somebody reads these 644 pages, because you made a comment about Republican, I'm not a Republican, but um, and if somebody reads this report, They'll see that we actually criticize Republicans more than Democrats. In fact, that infamous letter on October 19th, 2020 from former intelligence officials, there were more Republicans who signed that letter than Democrats. So I think that this laptop story, and you mentioned the Twitter files at the top, those Twitter files reveal that there were a lot of Republicans involved in this as well. And so we really think it's an indictment on the entire political class. I don't want to say entire, probably 95% of the, uh, I, I try to stay away from absolutes, but right. it's, and, there was a, there was a bipartisan effort to stop this material from coming to the public. Right. Yeah, I suppose there was, and I suppose just the other day, uh, it was pretty clear from the Twitter files reporting that the FBI was pressuring Twitter quite hard to stop the story, claiming it was a Russian hack and leak operation. And uh, it does it does turn out, with hindsight at least, that it wasn't. But, um, you know, do, do you have anything to add to that? Um, well, I would just say... That how did you feel when, when you realized that... How did you feel when, when you realized that um, authorities of, of the government were trying to stop the story? Well, the, the feeling is, first of all, anger, and second of all, my nerdiness takes over, and I will just say that two of the officials implicated in this scheme, and it is a scheme, we can't find statute violations right away other than the First Amendment, which isn't a statute, right, but it's, a, it's ingrained in our Constitution. Uh, two of the officials, Elvis Chan and Laura Dimlow, were already featured in our dossier, and the reason why we knew that is because I've been close with the plaintiffs in a case called Missouri v. Biden, who in those state attorneys general are suing the federal government for um, working with social media platforms to censor what they deem to be misinformation. And so those two officials were named in this Twitter drop. Uh, but to me, it, it's all about the core is the FBI wants to claim plausible deniability by saying that they didn't demand that they do this. They just suggest sort of like it's a, it's an elbow to the, to the ribs about, Hey, this is what we deem, you know, misinformation. If you want to stay in the good graces of the FBI, this is what the undertone is. They don't say this explicitly in the email. But if they only suggest it, 
then the FBI has plausible deniability to say, hey, look, this isn't a violation of the First Amendment. We didn't tell them to do this. They were acting on their own accord. But I would argue that, the tw that Twitter wouldn't have done that if but for the emails from the FBI. And so what I'm interested in more than anything is state-level actions because Joe – Again, this isn't my opinion. This is what Joe said. He's very proud of his son. His son is the smartest man he knows, and he didn't do anything wrong. That's what he said. So if it's proven that Hunter did commit a federal felony and proven in court, not just in our report, he will be pardoned, and, he will, and, he, and his sentence will be commuted, just like most presidents would do for their, for their child. But the president can't pardon state-level crimes, and there's a lot of things on this laptop, and we go into them. We actually uh, – I went through the trouble of finding each state statute that he violated, and I worked with an attorney. In fact, attorney's fees were a fifth of our cost to try to find out which statute he violated in each state. So I would if, – if justice is to occur in this scenario, I think um, Hunter must be indicted at a state level. And again, it doesn't have to be for the drugs and sex, although that's appalling, Matei. It can be for money laundering. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the FARA violations too because that's, that's critical because our, our laws are unique in that regard. No, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Um, I suppose, um, yeah, well, I suppose Donald Trump pardoned, uh, uh, what's his name, the, um, the lobbyist guy. He, he pardoned uh, Roger Stone, didn't he? So Yeah, America but even, even, worse, even worse than that, the one that I was most uh, angered by, um, I think he should have pardoned Julian Assange and uh, Ross Ulbricht and Edward Snowden. But the, the other one, was Jared Kushner's father, and I don't like Jared Kushner. Most of the time spent in the White House with my office was was uh, fighting Jared Kushner's because uh, he he is with the banking cartel. And if there's one thing that your listeners have to understand about me, it's that I hate the I hate the regime, capital T, capital R, and I consider the banking cartel to be probably the head of the regime. And this is to me, it's global. So. Um, Kushner okay, to me represents let's, the. Let's cool it a little bit on that because we don't want to sound like Alex Jones here, right? So we're just uh, this stuff when you when well, you talk about it's... big global stuff, you, you, um, there's there's this febrile atmosphere, you know, and I I kind of feel for Twitter Twitter employees as well because when you know there was this sort of um, moral panic around Russian influence at the time in 2020, it was. Everybody was talking about it, you know, the Russians are out to get us. And Paul Manafort was working with a bunch of Russians and a bunch of corrupt oligarchs to influence the election. And so there was there was form in America for this sort of election interference. And you work at Twitter, you're kind of a techie geek, and you've got all these all these FBI people and official people coming over and saying, look, you know, the fate of democracy is your is in your hands. So this, this probably made an impression, so I'm kind of, um, I do blame the officials who, who, who put pressure on Twitter because they should have known better, but I don't really blame Twitter employees because I think when you come under that sort of pressure, it's very easy to be in awe of state power and think, oh man, you know, I want to be on the good side of history here. So anyway... Um, can I just go into the in, in, into the information in in the in the file in, in in the Hunter Biden file? What mostly drew my attention, uh, apart from all the fuss happening in America, was that it seemed that uh, Hunter Biden was really active in Eastern Europe, which is my neck of the woods. And you've got Ukraine, you've got Romania, Serbia, and all of these countries. While his dad, uh, Joe Biden, was the vice president. 
And um, so it seemed like, taken together, Hunter was trading very heavily on his dad's position. And even if Joe Biden didn't really act wrongly, it it still looks like Hunter Biden was trying to give the impression that he could influence American policy. So could we could we talk a little bit about that? And uh, and firstly, with with Ukraine and Romania and what happened there. Well, firstly, in both Ukraine and Romania, Hunter's violations of law were very in one way, very simple. And you mentioned Paul Manafort. Hunter committed the same felonies that Paul Manafort did, whereby he represented a foreign principal um, without registering that representation with the U.S. Justice Department. And so the, the statute is written such that Hunter didn't need to change U.S. policy directly to have committed that felony. All he needed to do was advocate for that change of policy and not register with the DOJ. And we checked, you mentioned open source, or I mentioned open source intelligence. For hours, I scoured the FARA filings. I looked at all the FARA filings going back years, and not one of Hunter's associates um, you know, registered for as a foreign agent. And so because of that, Matei, because in both cases he was trying to get U.S. officials to to intercede uh, with foreign officials on behalf of his foreign principal. The money that he collected from those foreign principals is subject to seizure and money laundering laws. And in fact, I reread the Paul Manafort indictment about a month ago, um, just to re you know because it's in our report. But I but I wanted to refresh my memory. And at the end of the indictment, it goes into all of his assets that can be seized because of this foreign representation: his mansion on Long Island, his brownstone in Brooklyn, and so theoretically, all of those assets that Hunter Biden has bought with foreign cash could be seized because he didn't register that representation. And so in Ukraine, it was. A insurance policy that Mikola Zlachevsky took out against prosecution, basically. And Hunter and Devin Archer, who's been convicted in the Southern District of New York, he's he's been sentenced, but he's appealing. Were paid eighty three grand a month per per uh, you know a piece, eighty three grand to each male uh, to sit on this board. And Hunter had no experience in in energy policy, um, and because we have the email correspondence on this laptop, Matei, we can see that Vadim Pizarski, the advisor to, to Burisma's board, and, and Zlachevsky were asking Hunter to use his influence within the U.S. government to advocate to drop the cases against McCola. So our allegations are, again, very conservative and I think very tempered compared to what's been out there. We're saying that his advocacy itself is illegal. Because we don't have the phone call with uh, which I believe occurred, but we don't have it as evidence between Hunter and Joe saying that Shokin uh, was fired directly because of Hunter. We can infer it, but again, we don't have the evidence for it. We're saying that the that the FAR violation itself is illegal. Now turning to Romania, the same thing occurred. Gabriel Popovicu hired Boy Schiller Flexner and Rosemont Seneca Consulting and Louis Free, the former FBI director to intervene on his behalf with Laura Covesi. I'm, I'm mispronouncing that name. Covesi. I know you're probably laughing. Yes. Hans Klim, the U.S. ambassador to Romania, did that. We have absolute proof. They met multiple times, even at the U.S. embassy, 
doing that. So you have Hunter Biden, Mike Gottlieb, Louis Free, and Chris Boys, the son of the founder of Boys Schiller Flexner, big time prominent lawyer for. Yeah, that was that it. was a that was a dirty business, and um, well, yes, and you mentioned it, it Rudy was anywhere, in that though, it, that it, too, and and we put that in the report, Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. In... Yeah, and I, I appreciated that. Actually, I was gonna say, you know, Giuliani had some some dirty involvement in there, and you didn't forgive yeah, him. Yeah, and, and Rudy he has a never, Rudy has never talked about that publicly. Frustratingly, we called him to ask him for comment. Again, I called everybody in this report that we accused of a felony. We called and asked them for an alternate explanation of this material, saying, "What are what are what am I not seeing here? I am seeing." Clear wire transfers based on undeclared foreign representation. How else can I read this? And a lot of you know, a lot of people told me to f off. A lot of people wouldn't respond. A couple of them did. I called over. I also called all of Hunter's pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers in this. And so I did the due diligence. I did ask everybody for comment beforehand. Louis Free told me to buzz off. And so you have this, this. Romanian oligarch, and I did wish him a happy birthday. He just turned sixty-three last Thursday. Uh, Gabriel Popovicu, but you yeah, have he's Gabriel in London. He's in London here. I'm in London yeah. as well. Gabriel you Popovicu. Know what? Actually, what's what's happening? Can I can I just make a, a quick? A, yeah, um, they, he, he um, won. You know, a quick summary about this case, just so people know. So this lobbying, this sort of transatlantic, high-powered lobbying against Romanian justice, actually went nowhere, and Popovicu did end up getting sentenced but he he skipped sentencing and he went to london he's living you know a very comfortable life a very high-end life in london and um, because of how romanian financial crime law works um even if you're sentenced it's not for life so it turns out that um even if you don't fulfill your sentence for non-violent sort of acts it just gets prescribed so he's going to be a free man uh, in, I think in a few months, very shortly, and also um, um, the the lawyers that he had in London managed to convince British justice that he shouldn't be he, he shouldn't be extradited because conditions in Romania are so poor, and you know he's he's such a such a refined individual that he couldn't take to to Romanian prison, and so I think that was just a, that was just a sorry a sorry case in the in the history of Romania. But thankfully, I, you know, Kovashi, the prosecutor, back then she was the prosecutor and the chief prosecutor, and she, she, she had a lot of backbone, and she, she is now the head prosecutor for for the whole of the European Union. So she's yep. putting away bad people all across the European Union, across Germany, Italy, you know, all the big countries. So um, clearly, some good yeah, came go out of that. this. And um, and it's it's an incredible case. It's a Again, in normal times, Hunter was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for that. And again, our allegation is that um, the representation itself is illegal, whether or not. As so Farah, yeah, can we talk a bit about Farah? So yes. it's the foreign um, foreign, foreign lobbying act, basically. Yes. So um, um, this is because uh, sorry. So can you can you explain what it does and what what it's for and. Um, uh, why why it's illegal in the first place. Yes, the law is very old. It's been on the books for 84 years. It was passed in 1938 by the U.S. Congress, and basically it the exact statutory language says if you're an agent for a foreign principal and that foreign principal 
can be a business, an individual, a political party. In Manafort's case, it was a political party, the Party of Regions. Um, if you're an agent for that foreign principle within the United States and advocate for that foreign principle to any level of government and any government official, it's not illegal. You just have to register that with the Justice Department and give very basic information. If you go to uh, the DOJ's website, you'll see that all you have to do is give your name, your address, the name of the foreign principal, a three-sentence description of the work, and a rough estimate of the money paid. It's The bar is very low. As a result, because the bar is mere disclosure and it's a very low bar, the penalties are very steep, and that's why Manafort was sent to federal prison and fined all this money. And uh, the fi the fines are steep, and you can go to prison for up to ten years. And so, uh, the the goal of the statute, and I went ahead and went back to 1938 and read the congressional debate on it, was basically um, transparency. That if you're going to be, um, if you're going to be a foreign agent within the within the borders, we at least have to know who you're a foreign agent for and where the money's coming from. And so, you know. Rosemont Seneca Consulting, Hunter's consulting firm, that was essentially their business model. And we have an email from Hunter's business partner, Eric Schwerin, that said they were very, quote, very worried about this, about them being basically found out as FARA violators. So in response to an article, Hunter's business partner emails Hunter and says, now you know why I worry about this so much. Because they were bringing up the fact that 30 years earlier, before Daly was Obama's chief of staff, he was he was fined for this. And so it's an incredible thing. you know, When you find evidence of a felony, it's one thing if they just are hush-hush about it. It's another if in other emails you see them talking about them being very worried about the government enforcing the law. Sociologically, that's just that's incredible to see somebody right. navigate that. Right. Well, well, that's that's all very interesting. And there were uh, a couple of deals with Kazakhstan in there, yeah. uh, with Serbia. Can can we talk a little bit about that? And then also the the Chinese deals. The um, the media in America has made quite a bit about about China these days, about Hunter's activity with China. But let's look at at Kazakhstan and Serbia first. Very good question. At the beginning of each section of this report, we put the people involved in their picture because unless I see their face, I can't remember them. So the people involved in the Kazakhstan deal were the city at the time, the sitting prime minister who since been arrested for treason, Karim Masamov. I haven't followed that case closely, so I don't know whether the charges are legit or trumped up. But it was Karim Masamov, Kenneth Rakashev, Kengis is what uh, Hunter's partner calls him. There's a G in there, but. And then there's an, uh, there's an American official named Mark Holtzman who sat on the board and was the chairman of the largest commercial bank in Kazakhstan. I'm going to botch the name so people will have to go to our report. But basically, if you, just, if you start at page 165, you'll see that Hunter and his business partner, Devin Archer, were acting as a foreign agent for Kenneth Rakashev, even setting up calls and meetings with the sitting Secretary of State, um, John Kerry. And Devin Archer, Hunter's business partner, was John Kerry's vice chairman of finance on his twenty his 2004 presidential campaign. And so they were setting up meetings with with you know American officials for for Kazakhs. And again, these normal activities cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you see that in FARA filings. <laughs> Secondly, more importantly, they were acting on Burisma's behalf 
to try to strike a deal between Conoc, the Chinese national offshore oil company. Um, Burisma was going to drill wells in Kazakhstan and ship the natural gas to China for for Conoc. And at the time, Conoc was with was on the U.S. sanctions list. So you have the son of the vice president, Devin Archer, who was the vice chairman and met with the sitting secretary of state, working with a Cypriot domiciled Ukrainian-based natural gas company, planning to drill wills in Kazakhstan to then ship the cheap gas to China. And again, the statute violations are very simple. The working on the Connock deal um, wasn't a, a statute violation per se, but the but the FARA was violated multiple times because they were back channels. In fact, with the foreign minister one time, this is this uh, scenario is on page one sixty seven. Devin Archer and Hunter Biden were back channeling with Foreign Minister Idrizov to set up a call. Um, with John Kerry. This occurred on July 11, 2013, and uh, the chief of staff, then chief of staff for the Secretary of State, David Wade, asked Archer and Devin, hey, what does the for, uh, what does the FM want to talk about with JK? Meaning, what does Foreign Minister Idrisov want to talk about with JK? And Devin Archer says, U.S.-Kazakhstan strategic partnership on nuclear nonproliferation, Kazakhstan WO, WTO accession, and the New Silk Road. So you have unregistered agents talking with the sitting foreign minister of Kazakhstan on the most sensitive topics. I mean, what more sensitive can it name a more sensitive topic than nuclear nonproliferation and WTO accession? And yet these topics were entrusted to back channelers. Right. And it does sound quite serious. And, um, you know, to be fair, this is, um, I, I do feel for Joe Biden a little bit on this because I'm not really sure that it, it, it comes across like he was involved at all. Well, it does well, seem to me like his, that. Yeah. We don't make that allegation. Mateo. Yeah, we I know, just, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. So that's why, that's why I'm saying I'm feeling for him a little bit because he was, he was in a high powered job in, in the power, the most powerful country in the world. And obviously this attracts sort of, people with, with varied uh, interests and people of varied moral uh, fiber, right? And um, so clearly Hunter Biden was a massive vulnerability for Joe Biden because of, uh, you know, of his own, um, of his own personality and his own, his own vices and so forth. So in this case, you know, it's fine to point the finger at Hunter Biden and, you know, talk about the, um, uh, you know the, the lobbying and stuff like that, but I just want to put it out there that as a dad in a high-powered position, Joe Biden must have had a lot of uh, a lot of nights, uh, sleepless nights, trying to figure out what to do in this situation. Yes, uh, I was being put in a very in a very nasty position. It is a very precarious position, but I would argue, and our report lays out the fact that Joe consistently didn't stop his son from being in situations that would exacerbate those vices so how would you why and again he didn't advise hunter against any of this you'd think that the vp would advise his son from sitting on the board of a ukrainian energy firm at the exact time he's the point man in that country but he didn't do so you don't know we, we, you, it's not clear that he didn't it's not clear that he, he didn't said he, did. he said he never discussed it with him so that means that he didn't Maybe uh, he, he never discussed it in a formal capacity. You know, I don't think he never... I mean, yeah, who knows? Uh, um, I'm just going is, off uh, what he said. He said he never discussed his son's overseas business dealings with him. So if I'm to take him at his word, he didn't 
advise against any of this stuff because he said he never discussed it with him well that's uh that's a different thing it's it's one thing to discuss the the businesses themselves and it's one thing to tell your son look just get the hell out of there and just just you know just stop putting me on the spot so i i doubt that he never tried to stop him but you know it, this is just all a matter of opinion but um, another thing I had to say is, uh, first of all, I, I need to give another shout to H5 Strategies in Bucharest, a political and executive consultancy specialized in Eastern Europe, Central Asia and Africa. And by the way, uh, there's total editorial independence. So the sponsor, before we get, we don't want to get them into trouble. The sponsor has no idea who is coming on the podcast, what the questions are, what the subjects of discussions are. And um, this, there's total editorial independence and separation, and we thank them for, for trusting us. So um, Hunter is actually now involved in serious tax um, problems in America, legal problems. He's, he's paying back taxes and penalties because, um, you know, because he's being made to do it by the court. And uh, to this point... It does look like the New York Times also tried to get uh, a lot of his uh, a lot of his tax arrangements. So um, at at one point or another, you were actually fighting the same fight as the New York Times, weren't you? In the Romania case, absolutely. In fact, the reporter who urged the lawyers of the New York Times to file the complaint in the Southern District of New York, Ken Vogel, I talked to Ken Vogel, and I told him that these records that they're going to get from FOIA and the New York. And the State Department has been producing them are going to be very, very revelatory, and they'll they'll feature Gabriel Popovicu's direct emails for all your listeners. But again, I think that the the, the reports from the New York Times in general, not about the Romania case, but in general about this laptop, have been a day late and a dollar short, and have been sort of a limited hangout. In that, they don't talk about Joe at all, which our report goes into how Joe violated multiple federal laws and regulations. And again, I think that um, if we just have one device, imagine what would come up if we had FISA surveillance, which they did on the previous president. So I think that, um, that you know, to the degree that the New York Times will talk about statute violations, which are apparent, I applaud them. But, I, but it's, it's not really a story about Hunter per se. Um, it's really about a story about influence peddling. Hunter is just one of the main characters on the stage, Matei. But it's really, again, this report's really about the political class and because there's so many people around Hunter. Here you have Devin Archer, Bevan Cooney, Mike Gottlieb. You know, Hunter didn't get into the nitty-gritty of it. There's not there's not evidence he put together one pitch deck. He, he was just making the intros. So we really try to go into all of the movers and shakers around him who effectuated this. And sometimes that included Joe. Sometimes it didn't. Right, okay. And another another thing I'd like you to talk about from uh, from the file w uh, would be Serbia, and that's because unlike the other countries that are kind of independent and kind of um, you know working their way around uh, big geopolitical sort of um, uh, sort of uh, currents, I think it's pretty clear that Serbia is a, a, a very close ally of Russia and. Um, you know, it's been this has been happening for years, and now in the context of the Ukraine war, Serbia has been very soft on Russia. There's even now, I think, um, there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of trading, a lot of diplomacy, a lot of um, very close relations anyway between the two countries. And Serbia is right in the middle of Europe. So, what was Hunter actually doing in Serbia? Well, Hunter 
never got involved in domestic Serbian politics. What Hunter was was an unregistered agent for a very particular prominent Serbian official named Vuk Jeremic. And he, of course, was the uh, president, the youngest president of the UN General Assembly in world history. And the FAR violations were very simple. Hunter admits to crafting a plan with Vuk Jeremic um, to basically run for uh, the the general secretary position. And Vuk Jeremic got third in the voting. But you'll you'll see in emails in April of 2015, he's saying that he needs to talk in person about this plan he's hatched for Vuk Jeremic. And he also uh, invites Vuk to a, to a private dinner at Cafe Milano restaurant in D.C. with Joe. So Hunter, Hunter is basically parting the waters for Vuk Jeremic in the in in the United States political sphere and and trying to get him in front of Joe uh, himself and just a private dinner, not like a public event. And then you also, I guess, the only involvement, um, non illegal but worthy, uh, I guess, noteworthy involvement is Hunter's firm funded Vuk Jeremic's think tank C R I C C I R S D, the Center for International Relations and uh, um, Development. Sustainable development, excuse me. That that think tank in Belgrade, the the board of advisors of that is basically locked uh, with with uh, high level Chinese officials. Ye Ming, the chairman of CEFC, was on that advisory board, and uh, Vuk Jeremic refers to the now disappeared Ye Ming as one of his good friends. Um, is is is. Uh, Basically, he was try- he was one of the people who introduced Hunter Biden to CEFC, and that's a good segue, I think, to the Chinese section. Is Vuk acted as this bridge between the East and the West? Uh, he, you know, he knew all these officials from his UN days, and Jeremy was perfectly happy to act as that basically convening point for the Chinese and the Westerners. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's a that, that's an interesting thing between China and Serbia, and so there was no connection directly with Russia at all. It's just the fact that Serbia happens to be close to Russia. We couldn't find any. We looked deeply into the laptop. There is plenty of evidence that Hunter corresponded with Russian officials and sought uh, investments, and so the the interactions with Russian nationals. Uh, to our knowledge, didn't reach the level of felony. We found no evidence that Hunter advocated. U.S. government officials on behalf of Russian nationals. We can just find business transactions. And so um, I suppose that brings us to the Baltics. There was a very interesting section of the report where um, where Baltic banks are mentioned, especially a couple of them that were extremely controversial, and especially one, which was ABLV Bank, which is now closed for... For one of the biggest money laundering scandals in the history of Europe, including um, wiring money illegally in, in violation violation of sanctions against North Korea and all sorts of money laundering linked to Russian oligarchs and influence operations and you know what have you all of all, the whole the whole menu of um, of dirty business in Eastern Europe. This bank was right at the heart of it. So um, what what was uh, Hunter Biden doing getting money from that bank? Very particularly, Hunter's um, business partner and him had a shell company called Rosemont Seneca Bohai LLC, 
which was the focus of the Indian bond fraud case, which implicated Devin Archer. As a part of that litigation, bank statements were released by the government for this shell company called Rosemont Seneca Bohai LLC. We scoured through those bank statements and literally digitized all of them over 300 pages. On April 22nd, 2014, that shell company received a $142,000, 300, $142,300 wire transfer from Novatis Holding PTE Limited, which was a Singaporean domiciled shell company beneficially owned by Kenneth Rakashev. And the reason why ABLV came up is because Kenneth Rakashev's shell company used that Latvian bank. It's, it, it literally says ABLV Bank AS Riga Latvia to make that transaction. The day after, in basically perfect money laundering form, that same amount went to a Schneider Nelson Motor Company uh, to buy a new Porsche SUV for Hunter. And this, again, based on reporting from the New York Post, is directly involved in the grand jury investigation involving Hunter Biden right now. So in six months, if he does get involved, indicted we can go back uh to this to this talk and see 169 in our dossier and say this was the subject of a grand jury investigation and because we have access to hunter's um tax numbers not the actual returns but from his assistant what he made we know that he didn't classify this uh, as income which he should have because he then bought the, the bought the car so that's a clear New York state money laundering violation, which they just got Steve Bannon on, which they indicted Steve Bannon for, and um, and federal money laundering. So ABLV Bank, just to be very quick and succinct, ABLV Bank was used by the president's son to illegally, uh, per tax evasion, purchase a Porsche SUV from a Singaporean domiciled shell company run by Kenneth Rakashev. Right, and I would also like to make the point here that ABLV was world famous because you know you've got a you've got a, a Kazakh businessman who can open uh, bank accounts anywhere he likes, but he chooses this little obscure bank in Latvia. Why? Because the bank was world famous for not checking the source of funds. So anyone with money, be it you know corrupt officials, and I'm not saying Rakishev did anything wrong. I'm just I'm just saying Rakishev picked one of the worst one of the worst banks in yes. the world to wire money to to Hunter Biden. So about Ukraine now back to Ukraine and this is the final question because we're running out of time as well. Um, the Ukraine stuff has been heard quite widely in the media. Uh, in the is this is there anything new in the final version of the report? Uh, not 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 necessarily just about Ukraine, but uh, about any Eastern European countries that you think adds anything to to the news well what our report does is is systematically lay out all of the illegal interactions that hunter hunter had right so hunter getting on the board of this company isn't by itself illegal the only thing we include in this report is hunter reaching out to U.S. government officials. So we have him reaching out to uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, the U.S. State Department, uh, trying to strong-arm the U.S. State Department to then strong-arm the Mexican government to let Mikola Zachevsky into their country because there was a flag on his, on his file being a minister for Yanukovych. And so, um, you know, everything that, um, that, 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 has been said about Ukraine, I think, has lacked specificity. And so we go into Ihor Kolomoisky and how 
all the wire funds that were sent to Devin and Hunter were sent from Privat Bank, which again is the subject oh, of, of four course, different of course, lawsuits. Of course. Four different lawsuits within the United States for uh, for de defrauding uh, depositors. Right, um, and Kolomoisky is, is under U.S. sanctions now, isn't he? he? Is. And um, his bank was closed. I actually interviewed in the previous podcast, I interviewed the central banker of Ukraine who closed down Privat Bank in Ukraine for uh, extensive fraud. I'm going to have to go watch that. I'm going to have to oh, listen to you. that. Yeah, because and, um, Joe Biden directly talked about that with Poroshenko on November 16th, 2020 or uh, 2016 he urges Poroshenko to to nationalize Privat ASAP um, and I think that's very interesting considering his son was getting wire transfers through that bank from uh, in it, and you and know the, they call you know, this is again to, to Joe Biden's credit because nationalizing Privat Bank was probably the best thing that happened to Ukraine because that bank was destroying the Ukrainian economy and um it's, uh, I definitely think it saved some depositors, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a fraud of five and a half billion, I think, that was proven. It, it's probably higher than that, but the Ukrainians had to borrow money from the IMF, and if if they hadn't nationalized that particular bank, uh, you know, the Ukrainian economy would have collapsed, and probably today with the war, the Ukrainians wouldn't have been able to to resist invasion so well as as they have. So now back to back to the point of the bank. What exactly was was Hunter doing with Privat Bank before nationalization? All of the funds over the two point five million dollars that was sent to his shell company over the course of twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen, he served a five year term. That was sent through Privat Bank, and so we would argue that uh, it 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 facilitated and helped Hunter's board position because Ukrainian journalists have a. Uh, tried to pierce the corporate veil and see what um, what involvement Kolomoisky has had with Brasidi Investments Limited, which is the holding company that, that owns Burisma. And so they actually call Mikola Zachevsky a minigarch and Kolomoisky the oligarch. And so our um, our report raises questions on a $12.3 million wire transfer that came in to the holding company that owns Burisma in May of 2014, and the reason why we have records of that is because the prosecutor general's office released them in Ukraine. So we have that $12.3 million wire transfer, and our question, and we don't make an allegation, our question is whether or not those funds came from Kolomoisky or one of his minions in Privat Bank to Zlachevsky, because Zlachevsky already used them for Burisma. Like a lot of the accounts for Burisma were, were held at Privat Bank. Right. Well, that is what what a story. What a web. What 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 a fantastic sort of fascinating. Sociologically, uh, it doesn't get better than this. Yeah. I th do you think there's going to be a Netflix show about this one? Uh, you know, once the dust actually settles in a few years. I think that. I think that nothing will happen to Hunter at the federal level. So I don't think there'll be a Netflix show. I th I think that a Netflix show will only occur. If a state level official looks at this evidence and tries to try him at a state level, that's my answer. Well, you never know with American justice because there was a lot of speculation that um, you know SBF, some Bankman, Bankman Fried, wouldn't get indicted because he donated all this money to politicians. But what happened? You know, the Southern District of New York 
uh, made a case against him, and now he's uh, now he's moving, um, he, he's being indicted in America, and he's being extradited. So um, we'll just have to see. And of course, until until the man gets convicted, uh, he's um, he's innocent until proven guilty. So we should uh, we should state that um, that you know so far he hasn't been uh, he hasn't been convicted of anything. So he's a free man, and, uh, and rightly point. so. And so with that. Garrett, uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Merry Christmas to you and, and the you. family. Um, Merry Christmas. Uh, one last shout out to H5 Strategies in Bucharest, uh, political and executive consultancy for um, for Eastern Europe, Africa, and uh, and uh, Central Asia. And um, you know, good luck in the future. Good luck going after the Mexican cartels. And um, who knows, maybe in, in a little while you'll, you'll join us again on Reportercast. Thank you very much. Okay.